God has people for every one of us. And as we get healed and restored, and we as, as we allow God to, to restore us from brokenness that we've experienced in relationships, we find that we have a love that's from God for people. God cares about us, and He cares about people. And He wants to build His family. He wants to build His kingdom. He wants you to have more friends than you've ever had. It's a work of His Holy Spirit in all of us. Part of that is transformation. Saul to Paul. Saul was on a mission from the high priest, the Jewish high priest, to arrest Christians. He was trying to put down this new religion, this new thing called the way, this new thing that people were following this, uh, this prophet who went to the cross, and he were, they were trying to stamp it out. In the context, he was just a part of Stephen stoning. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, just called to be a servant to relieve the apostles so they could just minister to the word and pray. And so he was serving the, the widows, taking care of them. But he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and power. And God allowed him to do signs and wonders. In Acts 8, 1 through 3, at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And it is the church that is always being persecuted by Satan and the demonic forces and by people who are ignorant of who Jesus is in his body. So that great persecution arose against the church which was in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the, through the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Thank God that there are people that when they turn their lives over to God and they accept the call of God in their life, they stand fast. And persecution is not going to cause them to run. I love this new uh, community group series that we started that Jay picked out for us, Unshakable. And even in our first, uh, our first night about going through testing before you have success. Wow, it really hit home of we have to go through a lot of struggle sometimes to get the victory and to get the promises of God. And sometimes the test and the opposition causes us to shake and get weary and pull back. But we are to hang tough and stand strong, just like Jory's prophetic word. We're right at the edge. We may be making bricks without straw right now, but I tell you, God's going to give us all the breakthroughs that we need in our lives. So everyone left except the apostles. And verse 2 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And I tell you, Satan is alive and working to destroy the body of Christ. He's working in every church to create division and unrest and disappointment and disillusionment and offense because he knows we are a force that can do damage to his kingdom. And you are very valuable in the kingdom of God. You are powerful in the kingdom of God as a believer. You are powerful together. We are powerful in the local church, in the body of Christ. We are powerful as each one of us creates and develops our relationship with God and hones in who we are in God and how we come together. We find our purpose. We find our destiny. We find out who we are individually as we come to the Lord. But then as we find out who we are, we see there's a greater purpose in joining other believers in the cause of Christ 
to link together, to support each other, and also be used by God to empower his kingdom and to get other people to come into the kingdom of God. Saul was so devout, so religious. In his own mind and heart, he thought he was doing the right thing by stamping out this this thing that was trying to separate the Jews from their faith in God. And so he was persecuting the church, the New Testament body of Christ. And in Acts 9, 1 through 5, the first part of verse 5, it says, Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's pretty radical. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that, he, so that if he found any who were in the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's pretty intense about stamping out believers. Religion can be against believers. We can find ourselves fighting against ourselves because of just becoming religious. Verse 3, As Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? How often are we persecuting each other when we are offended or struggling with our personalities or ticked off about something because of our our humanness? Every time we get mad at each other, we are getting mad at Jesus. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But Saul wasn't going to stay that way. Saul was about to experience transformation. In Acts 9.6, So Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's that moment when you come to the Lord and you realize something dynamic has come into my life, a dynamic opportunity that I must invest my life into. And Saul was one of those who experienced a radical transformation in his life, a radical surrender because of a radical experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Something happened in his heart that broke away religion and everything that he had lived for. Because from a young age, he was raised in the Jewish religion. He studied those five books and he knew them forwards and backwards. He was a strict Pharisee. He knew the law. But something hit his heart that transformed him. And he didn't want to be religious anymore. He wanted Jesus. He found that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the one that the whole Jewish religion was looking for. And they had missed him. They had crucified him. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will behold, be told what you must do. That's radical and spiritual and natural transformation. Saul renamed Paul by Jesus, became a man who loved people, giving up his life so they could know Jesus. We can read and we're allowed and have privilege of reading Paul's letters to the churches and now part of the canon of Scripture that are for us to know how to do church, to know how to do relationships, to know how to love God and love each other, to experience a loving transformation of God's love that changes us from the deepest places where we need change. He talked about us being conformed into the image of Christ. 
Some of us don't have such a radical transformation. Some of us, it's a, it's a gradual transformation. It's a gracious transformation. I think of John Mark in that classic uh, verses in chapter 15 of Acts where, you know, Silas and Paul who are called to be the apostles going out from city to city, establishing churches, establishing new elders and launching new works, that young John Mark was with them and it got to be too much. And if you look at that, that, that passage, you can see it, most people see it one way. They see, you know, Barnabas taking his nephew and just separating from Paul and going in and allowing him to be raised up. If you're a leader, you see the dynamic hurt that happened in ministry because John Mark wasn't strong enough to stay in the fight because Silas and Paul were called to keep going out. And so, you know, you read the contention that came up among uh, Paul and, and Silas, and there was a separation in the ministry call. And so he pulls John Mark and goes away. And then Silas, uh, or um, Barnabas and Saul, excuse me, Silas was the one that joined Paul later. But you see how later in the, the letters that Paul mentions how John Mark had risen up to that place again where he was actively serving and so we did different places of transformation. Maybe you were one of those who had a radical transformation when you came to Christ and everything changed. Your whole lifestyle, your reason for living, and the fire and fervency for God began to take over your life. Well, wherever we're at, whether it's a radical transformation, we are all in the process of transformation. We are all on the road in the journey of God doing something deep inside of us where we become useful for God in the kingdom. And there's something inside of us is changing the way we spend our money, the way we do things, the way we do relationships, because it's the power of God that comes in. In Isaiah 49.8, something incredible is talked about. Desolate inheritances. Right when the Lord was telling me to start this series, we had Dave Sell come from Northern California Bible College to speak about inheritance. And he told all of us that he was about to start a Bible college uh, class in this fall about inheritance. And he's been spending all summer getting ready, doing almost like doing week by week. He does such in-depth study and prayer, and he's very prophetic about just really putting the curriculum together. So... As I've been looking over this the last six weeks, and I've been waiting to get to this desolate inheritances, I've had this thought, should I call Dave and pick his brain? What are you getting? What do you got? So finally I got the courage on Friday, and I said, I called Dave, and I said, hey, Dave, can I bother you? He goes, sure. I go, I want to pick your brain about desolate inheritances. <clears throat> he started laughing. He goes, I'm not there yet. <laughs> and so we talked a little bit, and he says, he ends up saying, okay, whatever you get, give it to me so I can have it when I, when I do the class. <clears throat> so we just prayed, and uh, he prayed for me, and I prayed for him, and, I, and we were just saying, God, help us to understand about desolate inheritances, the deepness of this prophetic word that comes out of Isaiah 49, verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable, favorable time, I have heard you, just like God heard the cry of the children of Israel in bondage when they had to start making brick without straw. That immediately when they began to cry, he called Moses and sent him as an answer to their prayer. So he's heard your prayers and he's hearing your prayers. 
And though you don't see the answers, they are manifesting. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Can you remember when you came to Christ? Today's the anniversary. Two years ago, I was under Surgeon Ben Chung's hands in Stanford. I was out of it right now, but I didn't know if I was going to have any cancer left or he was going to get it all, but he did. I was watching, walking this morning at 5 o'clock, praying for Ben. I said, God, in your design of time, you had that guy go through school and be top in his field of robotic surgery, and you used him to save me. Lord, save him. And as we're talking about desolate inheritances, it's about saving people. So it says, in that day of salvation, he helped you. I will preserve and keep you. Isn't that an incredible promise that God says he's going to preserve you and keep you? What's trying to steal you? What's trying to rob you of your life, of your joy? God promises to keep and preserve you and to give you as a covenant to the people. Jesus was given for us. Jesus was God's covenant to us that I care about you now and I care about you for all eternity. So I'm giving my son, my precious only son, to have his blood shed, that your sins could be forgiven, you could come back into relationship with me and have a transformed life. As a covenant to the people to restore to the earth, people back in relationship to God and us working out our relationship with each other. And here's, here's the line. To cause them to inherit the desolate inheritances. The desolate heritages inheritances they're broken people that's god's greatest treasure and when we came to the church you probably have heard this a number of you heard this many times it was about seeing broken people healed that's why we exist that's why god wanted us to come people are so broken in our society the generations manifesting today the brokenness of generations past is ever increasing and we see it every day by the things going on in our news by broken relationships jerry's bringing us through uh revelation 12 yesterday and it talked about uh satan spewing out and actually what he's spewing out is such a poison in words and how the enemy works he works in us to pour out words that hurt and damn and and destroy and hurt people it's part of the enemy using us in our brokenness capping on people's brokenness to bring further discouragement and to keep them in the bondage and pain of the brokenness they've experienced. But those people are the desolate inheritance of all of us. And some of us are, have been that desolate inheritance. Some of us can tell stories about the deep brokennesses we've gone through, the abuses and traumatic things that have happened to us that would seek to mark our life as forever in this place and we can never change. Generational things that extend brokenness from our past ancestors and we see things going on in our lives and maybe in our family that continue, that break our hearts. Events before birth and even in the womb and throughout life that try to limit us and we wonder, are we ever going to be free? Are people around us ever going to be free? 
desolate heritages, desolate inheritance. The word de desolate in the Strong's is to be desolate or appalled, astonished, astounded, destitute, destroyed, to have devastation in your life, to be horrified, to have something laid waste or lie deserted, abandonment by divorce, parents who have been absent, the lack of boundaries growing up, abuse, neglect, physical and emotional abuse. A couple of weeks ago, I was just thinking about this scripture and wondering, God, what do you want to say on this Sunday? What do you want to say when we talk about the desolate inheritance, the desolate heritage that we have as Christians? What does it mean to inherit those desolate places? And right after that, I found myself with some person that is not with us. And they were pouring out their life to me and talking about the discouragement they had grown up with and how it affected them today. And I realized, wow, God, this is what you're talking about, that all of us are going to have interactions with people that need to be restored, that need healing, that need to come into the kingdom of God and find freedom and a new life. We sang, Those songs we all sang were so incredible today about coming out of prison and bondage, being healing, healed and delivered. And then coming back to a place of worship. When we know what God's done for us and we're experiencing his presence, there's such a deep heart of worship that happens. And we could feel today, look at, we're not jam-packed today, but you could feel the electricity of worship. You could feel the atmosphere of God's presence, just drawing presence up out of our hearts. We could have gone on longer. It was so good. Another definition of desolate is to be abandoned and alone. A heritage is a possession, it's property, a gift, a heredity that we have in Jesus Christ, a heritage we have in Jesus Christ, an inherited portion. Sometimes we look at for natural things, but do we ever look at people or something that God wants us to inherit? Relationships. Restoration. Matthew Henry said this, he shall repair the decays of the church. Yeah, the church isn't perfect because it has imperfect people coming to her to be healed and restored, to be loved and forgiven. The decays of the church and to build upon it a rock. He shall establish the earth, or rather the land, the land of Judea, a type of the church. He shall cause the desolate heritage to be inherited so that the cities of Judah were after the return out of captivity. And so the church, which is the last and de of the degenerate ages of the Jewish nation, had been as a country laid waste, but was again replenished by the fruits of the preaching of the gospel. Second Corinthians 6.2 is the New Testament copy of Isaiah 49.8. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Look, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. How many people can we touch today that are ready to, be, to receive Jesus and start coming out 
the things that have devastated them. If you have time, you can look at Isaiah 42, 5-9. In the context, it was to Cyrus and Jesus about being called, that Jesus was going to bring people out of prison and from the prisoners out and from prison to, to bring them who sit in darkness and to bring them out of a prison house so that it might glorify his name. Desolate inheritance. People are to be trophies of grace, restored. Since you now know that people are part of your inheritance in the kingdom of God, why don't you start asking, Lord, who are the people of my desolate inheritance? I was talking to a person the other day, spent a few minutes with them, and I just came away crying because I realized, thank you, God, you give me an opportunity to talk to this person who is my desolate inheritance. They have such a long way to come to really let you take over their life. There's such a fight because they've had so much history and brokenness and rejection and abandonment. It would almost seem, will they ever really come all the way? But I know that Jesus is powerful to do this. People are our inheritance. Here's some real-life stories of the Old Testament where the broken people were restored. David was on the run from King Saul, and this is 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Dolom. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became the captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. They were stressed. They were in anguish. They were broken people discontented with life. They were bitter. They were enraged. They were hardened. They were troubled. All these hurting were desolate inheritance, but they all gathered around David. David became the captain over them. God began to move on them in such ways that he, God caused them to trust David and trust his spiritual authority and allow him to lead them. Why does God set up churches in authority? Because people need a spiritual covering. People need shepherding. Because God wants to bring people into a place of maturity to become strong disciples, fully equipped, fully able to submit and work and use their gifts so that people can come into the kingdom and grow, so that more broken people can be restored. Broken People become loyal healers in God's army. What about Jephthah in Judges 11.3? Then Jephthah, one of the judges, fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went with him. Have you been worthless? I guess all of us in some way are worthless when we look at our righteousness has to be better than being good on our own. God says our righteousness apart from Christ is like a dirty old rag. 
I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home and accepting Jesus at an early age, but I still need to be forgiven of sins and kept from temptations and stuff. So in some way or other, we're all worthless. Some may feel more cheated or broken by society and may feel more worthless. But that's what happened. Jephthah, he was illegitimate. So his brothers rejected him and cast him out, out of the house and out of the town and denied him his inheritance. It's interesting when you're denied what's right and what's yours, how when you hook up with Jesus, you get restored and you get blessed. What about Mary Magdalene in the New Testament? Now when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. I wonder how many friends Mary had when she was possessed by seven demons. I don't think she was a very popular girl. Talk about a desolate inheritance. Jesus saw her, brought her deliverance and freedom, and sent her on the road as a follower of him, one who would touch people. And this, isn't it interesting that she was the first one that he appeared to when he rose from the dead? And today, I want us to go back a little bit. You know, last week, Norm was giving his life message to us, something that had been one of his biggest priorities, things that he felt was uh, something to minister about, something that was so vital, and something that's always relevant, and that is forgiveness. And he talked about giving that gift, the gift of forgiveness to another person. And probably the greatest thing we can do as believers is give people forgiveness. And I want you to think about Matthew 18 this week, and maybe some of you would read it. He starts off in verses 1 through 5 about becoming like a child. And unless we humble ourselves and become like a child, we're, we're, we're really not where he wants us. When we have a humility and become like a child, we're open, we're vulnerable to hear what God would say to us. And we're open to allow God to come to us when we're not proud. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus went on. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the brother, if the other person listens and confesses it to you, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take it to the church. It shows the intensity that Jesus has for his body and for us to flow together and to walk in forgiveness. It says that he freely gives us forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but if we don't forgive others, we block forgiveness. It's conditional to how we're forgiving others. When we don't forgive others, bitterness starts stock, stacking up in our heart and our heart begins to get cold towards God. But when we forgive people, we release them and we release ourselves. Some of you may be here today and maybe some bitterness has developed in your heart. It's, you're going to have a good opportunity to get that right. And if you have to go to a person, if a person that you know knows that you're mad at them, why don't you go and ask for forgiveness? You don't have to go into a big old story. Just say, please forgive me. It's as simple as that. And like Norm said last week, forgiveness may not necessarily deal with feelings, but once you say, I forgive a person, that's your place you war from. That's your place of faith, believing that 
you forgave that person and Jesus forgives you. God's love can move when there's no obstacles in our heart, when there's no roots of bitterness, when there's nothing that we're holding up. God loves us. God loves you. God wants forgiveness to flow. Everything from the past, every hurt and every reason that we have to hurt each other and to stay hurt or to be angry because if we forgive someone, we're letting go of the power they've had over us. Anger gives us a false sense of control and power that as long as we maintain anger, that person hasn't gotten over us. But the reality is you're not really hurting that person. You're only hurting yourself because bitterness destroys and it takes our joy.